0: We celebrate Hanukkah, the solstice, Kwanzaa, Chalaka. <laughs> For those who don't know Chalaka, it is a tradition started by Unitarian Universalists where we celebrate specifically a time where we acknowledge all of our seven principles. And so let us begin our service with a prelude. The opening words are by Barbara Chatham. It is a good morning to be together. When winter's darkness spreads across the land and cold seeps through our thickest coats, we hurry here, drawn by the warmth of faces familiar and new to the welcoming walls of this house. Here we open ourselves to new understanding reassurance and hope for this is a place where truth love and challenge meet it is a good morning to be together bonnie would you like to light our chalice this morning i give you these words by cynthia landrum in the bleak and cold winter we gather ourselves in to light the fire to warm our spirits to kindle the flame of love and hope. Thank you. It is time for us to look east, not only to the new day, but to welcome this time of year as well. Our first hymn is number 226. People look east. I would invite you to rise as you are willing and able as we join in singing hymn number 226.
1: We have a very special treat to light our first Advent calendar we have multiple generations. So I'd invite Maureen, Rhonda, and Zachariah to come forward and light our first Advent calendar. This morning, we light the first candle as a symbol of hope and expectation. Let this light bless us with the power to accept the healing light of peace. May it bless us with the creative power of hope as we express our intention for peace in all its forms and open our hearts to transformation. Together, we say, we are blessed this morning by who we are and by the hope that brings us together. We seek to embrace life as part of the human family that inspires and lights our future. Thank you. Excellent candle lighting. I'd invite the children to come forward and light their chalice now, and the youth. Please join Sing the Children and Youth Out to guide you on your way in your order of service. And I'd now like to invite Ruth Patrick forward to do a reading for us. Pioneer
2: Christmases by Jerry Dunn, Bernie. The Christmas holiday in Canada has come a long way since the days of the early pioneers. However, for those who were there, the tree wasn't loaded with gifts. Those small log cabins were usually filled with love. Even though the Christmas tradition was well established by the time Canada was settled by the Europeans, early pioneers did not celebrate the birthday as we do today. Most pioneer families did not put up a Christmas tree. Small log cabins had no space for such a frivolous item. Secondly, United Empire loyalists were of English, Scottish, and Irish descent, And the tradition of the Christmas tree did not originate in those countries. The Christmas tree came to Canada with settlers from Pennsylvania who were mainly of German descent. It was not until Queen Victoria's husband, Prince Albert, introduced the Christmas tree to England that the United Empire Loyalists in Canada took on the tradition. British families had the tradition, however, of hanging greens which consisted of ivy, mistletoe, and holly. Those were not available in Canada in our winter, so evergreen boughs were hung and often made into garlands, and these were decorated, uh, decorated the mantles in homes, on stair banisters, and often on exterior door frames. All the decorations were natural such as nuts, berries, feathers, or pine cones. Cranberries were plentiful in the bogs, and Canada's native people had introduced popcorn, which was made into chains. After a few years, calico bows, ribbon, and lace was used. Children made figures out of straw and yarn to decorate the Christmas ball and garlands. And after 1860, Cookie dough figures and gingerbread men were used to decorate the tree. Stockings were hung on the mantel or bedposts. If the harvest had been plentiful, the children and the children well behaved, the stockings were filled with presents. I remember one of us getting a potato in our stocking one day. A gingerbread. A gingerbread man may have been included, but if so, it would have been molded by hand as there were no cookie cutters and wrapping paper or cards. Often an apple was dropped into the stocking and possibly a treasured item, such as a jackknife or cornhouse doll. Perhaps if someone in the family knew how to whittle, there might be a wooden puzzle or a figurine found in the stocking. Wooden rocking horses were often made for small children. My father made a kitty car for us. Other toys given to children were such treasures as homemade sleds or snowshoes. Children made gifts for their parents and their siblings. Potpourri, sachet, and pomander balls were often given to both men and women. Handkerchiefs were hemmed and Scarves, mittens, and hats were knit. Girls as young as five could hem by hand and sew and knit. If there was a nearby town or a trading post, often thimbles, threads, and pin, and pin cushions were given to the lady of the house. Duck-down was collected all year round to make the pillows and cushions. Candy was made as well as cookies. The candy was shaped into sticks or balls and flavored with fruit juice or peppermint. On Christmas morning, these stockings were emptied and games of hide-and-seek and and bluff were played. Wild turkey or goose was most often served along with mincemeat pie and plum pudding made with hand-gathered fruit. I can remember the grandma making baking for days before Christmas, the smell of fruitcake, mincemeat meat pies, and currant pudding, making her kitchen a most inviting place. There was no electricity in many parts of Canada as recent as 1950. I remember as a small child going to grandma's for Christmas. Grandma didn't have the hydro, but she did have a beautiful tree, usually a spruce, And fastened on each branch at the end by a silver clip were handmade small red and white candles. We had those candles on our tree when I was a small child. And I'm telling you, I have never seen a tree since that I thought more beautiful. The excitement of being Christmas Eve and having the lights turned off and then candles lit on the tree was so amazing. Amazing. I also have to tell you that as I was the eldest, I came to the day where I could clip those clips on the tree to hold the candles. And that's a trick. You have to find just the right branches that won't sag when you put a heavy candle on because the candles were about the thickness of your finger or a pencil. Nothing near them that could catch on fire. And you usually had them on for 15 or 20 minutes at the most, and if you had a lot of children running around, it's even less. <laughs> but it was beautiful and a very special memory. Christmas has come a long way from the days of Pioneer Canada, and I often think we've forgotten the true meaning of the season. It is a time of giving and sharing, a time for families, a time to give of ourselves even though the tree wasn't loaded with gifts, remember, small cabins were still filled with love. I came to this land seeking milk and sweet honey, but all that I found
3: was an acre of ice. My know so frozen i lost all the sense in my toes What's under the snow, is it rock, is it rubble Are we folk abiding aloud in the fields? My coughing will drown out the wind Rushing straight through my head With a hey-ho unto the green holly For friendship is veining, love's folly they bring but the earth is now turned, so awake we'll to the promise of spring. Are these the same stars that I knew across the water? The belt of Orion, so steadfast and true. I'll tighten my own belt again, maybe one notch or sure two. The heart, is cold, there is. On my pillow, I'm told that my neighbor lives five miles away. If only the kettle would sing me a scrasse that's real. With a hey ho, unto the green holly. most friendship is feigning, love's folly they break, But the earth is now turned, so away to the promise of spring. Quite weakening, and know that my sting's not so sharp as my wit. You can share all the rafters, but not move this house that's all mine. With the hey-ho unto the green holly, whose friendship is feigning, love's folly they bring, but the earth is now turned so awake to the promise of spring. With the
4: The Case of the Missing Molasses Orderville, Utah One December evening, some of the sisters of Orderville met to plan a Christmas treat for the children. The order had no luxuries and the necessities were strictly rationed about the only sweets the people had was molasses so the sisters decided to make molasses candy and cookies for the youngsters but on christmas eve they came to grandmother spencer wife of howard orson spencer bishop and leader in orderville with the news that the brother in charge of the molasses won't let us have any he says our allowance for the month is already used grandmother's lips tightened "'The children are going to have something for Christmas. "'I'll speak to my husband after dinner. "'He'll give us permission.' "'When her husband came in, tired and hungry, "'Sister Spencer hovered over her husband "'and after dinner urged him to rest by the fire. "'As he sat looking drowsily into the flames, "'she said in a low voice, "'You do think the children should have some candy "'and cookies for Christmas, don't you, Howard?' "Mm "'Mm-hmm.' was the sleepy response, and Grandmother went away smiling. She reported to the ladies that everything was all right. My husband has given us permission. Did he say we could have the molasses, asked one, doubting Thomas. He didn't say no, replied Mr. Spencer truthfully. Now we won't wake up the brother in charge of the molasses. We'll just slip out and take what we need. The man in charge of the molasses barrel was very conscious of his responsibility. On the lid of the barrel, he had placed a section of heavy logging chain and a large boulder. Only a thin wooden partition at the head of the bed separated him from the barrel outside, and he was a light sleeper. (laughs) Shivering from the cold, the women crunched through the snow toward the barrel. It was beginning to snow again, and the night was very dark. With infinite caution, they removed the heavy chain without so much as one betraying clank. It took the combined efforts of all the women to lower the boulder noiselessly onto the ground. There was a breathless pause as Sister Spencer raised the lid and dipped into the barrel with a saucepan. She emptied its contents into a bucket and dipped again and again. We have enough now, whispered one of the women. Let's go back. With the same caution, the chain and boulder were replaced, and the women filed back to the warm kitchen to make the Christmas goodies. But there was a dismayed gasp when they looked in the pail. Oh, dear, we haven't enough molasses. We'll have to get some more. Oh, no, Sister Spencer, it's cold and dark. It's too risky. Well, just the same, we must, unless we want the children to be disappointed. There could only be one answer to such a statement, and the little band of mothers went again to the molasses barrel. They returned safely and went to work. When morning came, every child in Orderville had two molasses cookies and one big, slightly sticky lump of candy in his stocking. Santa Claus had not forgotten them. Grandfather insisted all his life that he could not remember ever having given the women permission to get the molasses.
1: Please join now in the singing of hymn number 241, In the Bleak Midwinter.
5: never had much compassion for the lazy or those who squandered their means and then never had enough for the necessities. But for those who were genuinely in need, his heart was as big as all outdoors. It was from him that I learned the greatest joy in life comes from giving, not from receiving. It was Christmas Eve, 1881. I was 15 years old and feeling like the world had caved in on me because there just hadn't been enough money to buy me the rifle I wanted for Christmas. We did the chores early that night for some reason. I just figured Pa wanted a little extra time so we could read in the Bible. After supper was over, I took my boots off and stretched out in front of the fireplace and waited for Pa to get down the old Bible. I was still feeling sorry for myself, and to be honest, I wasn't in much of a mood to read scriptures. But Pa didn't get the Bible. Instead, he bundled up again and went outside. I couldn't figure it out because we'd already done all the chores. I didn't worry about it long, though. I was too busy wallowing in self-pity. Soon, Pa came back in. It was a cold, clear night out, and there was ice in his beard. Come on, Matt, he said. Bundle up good. It's cold out tonight. I was really upset then. Not only wasn't I getting the rifle for Christmas, now Pa was dragging me out in the cold and for no earthly reason that I could see. We'd already done all the chores, and I couldn't think of anything else that needed doing, especially not on a night like this. But I knew Pa was not very patient at one dragging one's feet when he told them to do something. So I got up, put my boots back on, and got my cap, coat, and mittens. Ma gave me a mysterious smile as I opened the door to leave the house. Something was up, but I didn't know what. Outside, I became even more dismayed. There in front of the house was the work team, already hitched to the big sled. Whatever it was we were going to do wasn't going to be a short, quick little job. I could tell that. We never hitched up this sled unless we were going to haul a big load. Pa was already up on the seat, reins in hand, and I reluctantly climbed up beside him. The cold was already biting at me, and I wasn't happy. When I was on, Pa pulled the sled around the house... And stopped in front of the woodshed. He got off and I followed. I think we'll put on the high sideboards, he said. Here, yeah, help me. The high sideboards, it had been a bigger job than I wanted to do with just the low sideboards on. But whatever it was we were going to do would be a lot bigger with the high sideboards on. After we'd exchanged the sideboards, Pa went into the woodshed and came out with an armload of wood. The wood I'd spent all summer hauling down from the mountain. And then all four, soaring into blocks and splitting. What was he doing? Finally, I said something. Pa, I asked, what are you doing? you been by the Widow Jensen's lately? He asked. The Widow Jensen lived about two miles down the road. Her husband had died a year or so before and left her with three children, the oldest being eight. Sure, I'd been by, but so what? Yeah, I said, why? "'I rode by just a day,' Pa said. "'Little Jakey was out digging around in the woodpile, "'trying to find a few chips. "'They're out of wood, Matt.' "'That was all he said. "'And then he turned and went back into the woodshed for another armload of wood. "'I followed him. "'We loaded the sled so high "'that I began to wonder if the horses would be able to pull it. "'Finally, Pa called a halt to our loading.' Then we went to the smokehouse and partook a big ham and a side of bacon. He handed them to me and told me to put them in the sled and wait. When he returned, he was carrying a sack of flour over his right shoulder and a smaller sack of something in his left hand. What's in the little sack, I asked? Shoes. They're out of shoes. Little Jakey just had gunny sacks wrapped around his feet when he was out in the woodpile this morning. And I got the children a little candy too. It just wouldn't be Christmas without a little candy. the two miles to widow Jensen's pretty much in silence I tried to think through what Pa was doing we didn't have much by worldly standards of course we did have a big wood pile though most of what was left now was still in the form of logs that I would have to saw into blocks and split before we could use it we also had meat and flour so we could spare that but I knew we didn't have any money so why was Pa buying them shoes and candy really why was he doing any of this Widow Jensen had closer neighbours than us. It shouldn't have been our concern. We came in from the blind side of the Jensen house and unloaded the wood as quietly as possible. Then we took the meat and flour and shoes to the door. We knocked, the door opened a crack, and a timid voice said, ''Who is it?'' ''Lucas Miles, ma'am, and my son Matt. Could we come in for a bit?'' Willow Jensen opened the, floor, the door and let us in. She had a blanket wrapped around her shoulders and the children were wrapped in another and were sitting in front of the fireplace by a very small fire that hardly gave off any heat at all. Willow Jensen fumbled with a match and finally lit the lamp. ''We brought you a few things, ma'am,'' Pa said and set down the sack of flour. ''I put the meat on the table.'' Then Pa handed her the sack that had the shoes in it. She opened it hesitantly and took the shoes out one pair at a time. There was a pair for her and one for each of the children. Sturdy shoes, the best. Shoes that would last. I watched her carefully. She bit her lower lip to keep it from trembling and then tears filled her eyes and started running down her cheeks. She looked up at Pa like she wanted to say something, but it wouldn't come out. "'We bought a load of wood, too, ma'am,' Pa said. He turned to me and said, "'Matt, go bring in enough to last a while. "'Let's get that fire up to size and heat this place up.' I wasn't the same person when I went out to bring in the wood. I had a big lump in my throat, and as much as I hate to admit it, there were tears in my eyes, too. In my mind, I kept seeing those three kids huddled around the fireplace— and their mother standing there with tears running down her cheeks, with so much gratitude in her heart that she couldn't speak. My heart swelled within me, and a joy I'd never known before filled my soul. I had given at Christmas many times before, but never when it made so much difference. I could see we were literally saving the lives of these people. I soon had the fire blazing and everyone's spirits soared, The kids started giggling when Pa handed them each a piece of candy and Widow Jensen looked on with a smile that probably hadn't crossed her face for a long time. She finally turned to us. God bless you, she said. I know the Lord has sent you. The children and I have been praying that he would send one of his angels to spare us. In spite of myself, the lump returned to my throat and the tears welled up in my eyes again. I'd never thought of Pa in those exact terms before, but after Widow Jensen mentioned it, I could see that it was probably true. I was sure that a better man than Pa had never walked the earth. I started remembering all the times he'd gone out of his way for for Fumar and me, and many others. The list seemed endless as I thought on it. Pa insisted that everyone try on the shoes before we left. I was amazed when they all fit, and I wondered how he'd known what sizes to get. Then I guessed that if he was on an errand for the Lord, that the Lord would make sure he got the right sizes. Tears were running down Widow Jensen's face again when we stood up to leave. Pa took each of the kids in his big arms and gave them a hug, and they clung to him and didn't want us to go. I could see that they missed their Pa, and I was glad that I still had mine. At the door, Pa turned to Widow Jensen and said, "'The missus wanted me to invite you and the children "'over for Christmas dinner tomorrow. "'The turkey will be more than the three of us can eat, "'and a man can get cantankerous "'if he has to eat turkey for too many meals. "'We'll be by to get you at about eleven. "'It'll be nice to have some little ones around again. "'Matt here hasn't been little for quite a spell. "'I was the youngest. "'My two brothers and two sisters "'had all married and moved away.' Willow Jensen nodded and said Thank you, Brother Miles I don't have to say May the Lord bless you I know for certain that he will Out on the sled I felt a warmth that came from deep within and I didn't even notice the cold When we'd gone away Pa turned to me and said Matt, I want you to know something Your Ma and me have been tucking a little money away here and there all year so we could buy that rifle for you but we didn't have quite enough. Then yesterday a man who owed me a little money from years back came by to make things square. Your ma and me were real excited, thinking that now we could get you that rifle. And I started into town this morning to do just that. But on the way I saw little Jakey out scratching in the wood wood pile with his feet wrapped in those gunny sacks. And I knew what I had to do. "'Son, I spent the money for shoes "'and a little candy for those children. "'I hope you understand.' "'I understood,' and my eyes became wet with tears again. "'I understood very well, and I was so glad Pa had done it. "'Now the rifle seemed very low on my list of priorities. "'Pa had given me a lot more. "'He'd given me the look on Widow Jensen's face.' and the radiant smiles of her three children. For the rest of my life, whenever I saw any of the Jensen's or split a block of wood, I remembered, and remembering brought back that same joy I felt riding home beside Pa that night. Pa had given me so much more than a rifle that night. He had given me the best Christmas of my life.
0: I have a question for you. What has been the greatest gift that you have ever received? Take a moment. What was the greatest thing that anyone has ever given you? Was it an expected gift, like the birth of a child, the arrival of a new pet? An unexpected gift, like the surprise visit from a friend or family member could it have been an, a tangible gift? A memento that belonged to a loved one? Something small you could hold in the palm of your hand? Or something big like a new car? Perhaps an intangible gift. The support from someone while you were in need, experiencing the wonder of our Mother Earth. The gift of health, the ability to read the joy of making music, love shared. The Buddha said, health is the greatest gift, contentment the greatest wealth, faithfulness the best relationship. While planning the service, I came across chicken soup for the couple's soul. In a section called The Greatest Gift of All, the author writes, It took me a long time to understand the difference between a present and a gift. For years, I thought of the two as the same thing. As I grew up in a household where presents marked special occasions. So when I married a man who did not give presents on a regular basis, it was an adjustment. I wrestled with an ingrained expectation. I began to tell him what I wanted. A piece of jewelry. (gasps) diamond earrings. He came home with a road scraper. I was stunned that he had missed the mark by so much. But when the blizzard hit that next year, and he was off at sea, I used the road scraper to plow both our drive and our neighbors, thinking as I rumbled along how useless earrings would have been. (laughs) It was then that I finally realized that he had been giving me gifts all along. I finally began to understand the difference between a present and a gift. A present is a thing, but a gift is broader and often intangible. It is an act of kindness, the willingness to bend to one another's needs, the sacrifice of time and effort. Love is a gift. Any expression of it, freely given, is an offering from the heart that is immeasurably better than a present. Just this past week, someone told me about something that happened while going through the checkout at a grocery store. A woman ahead of this fellow was having his items run through. When the cashier told, told her the total, the woman realized she didn't have enough money and had to put something back. She reached into her grocery bag and pulled out a package of meat. This is when we start to imagine various scenarios. At least I do. Was she or her partner on welfare? Was one of them recently or unexpectedly unemployed? Was she a single mother with a disabled child? We'll never know her circumstances. But for the fellow behind her, none of that mattered. He leaned over to the cashier and offered to pay for the meat on her behalf. Now, when she woke up that morning, would this woman have imagined that something like this would have happened? That someone would help to pay for her groceries? Probably not. Will the two of them ever see each other again?
6: Mm,
0: not likely. Will she remember this unexpected gift? I like to think that she will. Just like the children in the story who received the molasses candy on Christmas morning and the Jensen family who received their new shoes. Here's another question for you Did the Sisters of Ordeville, the father heading out in the dead of winter with his son, or the fellow in the checkout line, expect anything in return? On our fridge at home, we have a magnet that has a quote on it by Hadad Bajar. The fragrance always stays in the hand that gives the rose. I love this sentiment. The fragrance always stays in the hand that gives the rose. At the end of our service, you will hear, our chalice is extinguished, but not the light that lives on in each of us. So carry that flame with you, And share it. That flame will never go out. It will continue to burn brightly inside of you as the scent of sweet-smelling roses continues to linger on your hands. Here are three quotes for you that you may want to remember during this holiday season. Always remember the greatest gift you ever own is not found in shops or under the Christmas tree. It is found in the hearts of true friends. I believe that the greatest gift you can give your family and the world is a healthy you. And my last quote, you are the greatest gift. May it be so, blessed be Now I can't help to wonder whether our father and our story had ever sung the carol good king wenceslas. We have a lovely connection here. So as we just heard the story, let us sing another version of this lovely story. The words are printed in your order of service. I invite you to stand and you're willing and able as we join together the carol good king wenceslas. Our community is entirely self-governed and self-supporting. One of the privileges of our free church tradition is to provide all of the financial support for our many ministries from among ourselves. Generosity, therefore, is one of our spiritual values we recognize as central to our personal and institutional well-being. For the month of December, we'll actually be supporting a new charity for us. It's called RISE. RISE reconciliation in solidarity edmonton you'll find a little display out in our lobby and i would encourage you to have a little read um, this is a, an organization that was formed a year ago in response to the truth and reconciliation uh, issues that are happening in our our country today so i would invite you to give generously well, the offering will now be received Let us join in our offering response. Let us join in another hymn, number 245, Joy to the World, who invite you to stand as you are willing and able to sing together hymn number 245. Closing words are by Mark Bellatini. Go in peace. Live simply, gently, at home in yourselves. Do not desire to be wealthier than your peers. And stint not the hand of charity. Crave peace for all people in the world, beginning with yourselves. And go as you go with a dream of that peace alive in your heart.
1: We extinguish this flame, but we keep its light in our hearts with its message of love and justice, taking it outside these walls to the world we live in until we are together again. But carry that flame with you as you leave this place and share it with those you know, with those you love, and most especially with those you have yet to meet. Please join us in one more rousing close. Number 235, Deck the Hall. remain standing, and our custom is to join hands and sing Carry the Flame. I'd invite you to do that, and then we'll have a few announcements right after.